0: Hello, and welcome to Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm José. And today we're talking about Nightmare Alley, yes. the new version, uh, supposedly independently adapted from William Lindsay Gresham's novel of 1946. Mm. There was an original film made in 1947 mm. uh, with Tyrone Power, which we're going to watch. Tyrone Power and Joan Blondell, who's fantastic at it. Yeah. We haven't watched that yet, and this supposedly is not a remake of that. It's supposed to be in- independently made. Um, directed by Guillermo del Toro. It's about a guy who runs away to the carnival. Stan, his name is, played by Bradley Cooper. Mm. From what exactly, we're not entirely sure. We see a burning house right at the start, and he's dragging a body, so something has gone very wrong in his life. Mm. Uh, but what exactly it is, is not clear right at the start. Um, But clearly he has a reason to run away. And the carnival is constructed, I think, as somewhere that people can run away to, as it so often is. And as he stays there and gets to know what the carnival is, he learns mentalism. He learns cold reading. He learns how to pretend like you can speak to the dead and perform a carnival act in which people think that you're speaking to their dead loved ones. And over the course of the film, what starts as an entertaining grift becomes a real con.
1: More than that, I think,
0: you know. So the whole film
1: really is about the depths of degradation that people can go to, really. Mm. Um, and so I think the film is about moral questions, yeah, more than anything else, right? It's. Mm. I think there's a line with uh, you know, one of the characters say, "You can't play God, yeah. You mustn't. You must always say that it is, you know, an act, right? That it's not real." Yes, there's uh-huh.
0: a big difference drawn between what is an act and then believing your own bullshit and actually thinking that you can speak to the dead, right. that you're more important and better than you are in that respect. I think it's Tony Collette who says that, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe David Stratton. Well, it's the two of them, I think, are they're the ones who teach him the acts. Yeah. So it's the two of them together. Right. And of
1: course, you know, the film uh, there's the opposite of that. But in some ways, it's a very grueling film in the sense that somebody starts quite low, they've committed a crime, they're on the run, right, and instead of things getting better, they get worse and worse and worse <laughs> so, mm-hmm. until the very end. So I think it's a fascinating film. And actually, in the opening sequences, I, I thought, you know, whoever doesn't love this can't love cinema, you know, because there was something about the opening shots reminded me almost of like 3D games, Yeah. Mm. It had that noir kind of almost not quite real, you know, uh, aesthetic. Uh, uh, it was almost like too much gloss, really. Um, but uh, then when he enters the carne and he gets the job and those scenes and the rain and him moving, you know, the, the pieces of wood and uh, the tent going up and the tent going down and the way that the carnival looked with that red neon... I mean, it just looks so amazing. Uh, you know, I thought anyone, any, you know, any any contemporary director would kill for any of these shots. Really, uh, then as the film unfolded, I did wonder, you know, is this going to be a film of shots <laughs> rather than, you know, a kind of, um, I mean, what's it got to say and is it coherent and is it convinced and are you with, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. are you on this journey? And I did end up being on that. <laughs> On the journey. Yes, how about
0: you? Um, I, I was never as into its look as you were. Oh. No. Um, I mean, I got how it. How not love that? Because the I don't billowing. think it's... No, I don't, I don't think it's nearly as, as luxurious. I mean, it is showing, you know, kind of grime and that kind of thing, so I don't mean it in that respect. But I just don't think it's as, as pleasurable to look at as, as you did. I, I was, thought it was kind I of... I was
1: swooning. I thought it was thrilling, thrilling, thrilling. I thought it
0: was mucky... Oh, no. Too
1: dark. No. I thought it was, like, absolutely fantastic. I thought that, you know, that neon red, you know, those yellows, the darkness. But that's, you know, that's, that's only part of it at the beginning. What I'm referring to is also, you know, you can see the glamour of the carnival, right, in those initial shots, yeah, with, you know, the way that the tent collapsed and it billowed, right, and there's a kind of a sensuality in that darkness, right? I thought I thought that was thrilling, and then also you know the neon where, where it said something two sh- two shows or two performances or something like that. Mm. Uh, you know just the way that that kind of acted as an, a compositional element in the
0: frame. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was tedious the way it looked early on. I liked it more when it got into the um, therapist's office played by Kate Blanchett. That was beautiful. There's as a lot well. of light in there, but it's also I mean she is. She has the perfect look. She looks like the film noir figure that she is in this, the femme fatale yes. figure. And the the and I was also a very well written scene when you know she she analyzes him for the first time and she's getting stuff out of him and the film is drawing this um, comparison between the cold readings and the, the hucksterism that he does on stage and mm. psychoanalysis psychoanalysis. It doesn't quite say they're the same. I mean, what it gets out of him is much more... Well, He's very says, real. He says it's the same. He, yeah. I'm talking about the film, what the film says, though. And what she gets out of him is very real. Um, but in a sense, what he gets out of the people that he does the act for is very real. I mean, they believe it completely. Mm. You know, So it kind of behaves in a slightly different way. He starts off not believing it, and something very real comes out of him. Mm. Whereas they start off completely believing it, and that's what makes the act work. Mm. Um Ultimately, I think the film's about alcoholism. I mean, when, when you get to the very end, and the, the end credits are, are uh, <laughs> macro images of that pickled baby, mm. I think the idea of pickling is kind of inherently tied to alcoholism. You drink and you pickle yourself. And when he ends up, in the twist I didn't see coming, becoming the geek that we've seen at the start. So the circus geek is this drug addict, kind of wired up prisoner that the carnival keeps. In a cage, and they let him out in front of a crowd in a ring to run around chasing a chicken, and then he gets it and he bites his head off and eats it and it's revolting and disgusting. This is a real act that that mm. was actually uh, part of carnivals and circuses and when Willem Defoe, who runs the carnival, explains this is how you make a geek, right? You find a guy who's down on his luck, who's a vagrant, something like that, and you give him a drink, but you drop a bit of opium in the drink and that give, that keeps him coming back, that keeps him coming back and eventually you've got him hooked. Mm. And you can keep him, make him do whatever you want and that's how you make a geek. Um, you know, so only, only right at the end when it happened did I realise, oh, oh, I should have seen, oh, of course it was going to, because the thing about a noir is you never get away with it, no matter what happens. And it looks like he might have. Like, everything has gone wrong and he's ended up, Spoiler alert. I saw it coming a mile away. Killing this police chief. And yeah, it looks like he's got away with it. But I'm thinking, he can't possibly. Like, this doesn't fit the genre, right? He can't. Okay, it's gone wrong, but he's still not dead. Yeah. (laughs) And then he ends up becoming the geek.
1: All the signs were there. But to me, that is still not about, you know, alcoholism. Uh, It's very much about a kind of, you know, moral degradation and despair. I right. think it
0: ties it to morals. I think that's the thing. I'm not but, saying that's right or wrong. Again, I think
1: it ties it to it, though. We're seeing things yeah, in the opposite way, like yesterday. Because I think basically, you know, the alcohol and the drug addiction, the whole kind of that aspect of it, is tied, you know, to someone trying to deal with the horrible things that they've done in their life and that life has done to them. That's why they end up in Nightmare Alley. You know, and kind of people end up there for different reasons. Because what you're also describing is, you know, the moral kind of collapse, degradation, and humanity of the Willem Dafoe character of somebody who, in fact, is willing to become a white slaver, Mm -hmm. right, to make a few bucks, Mm -hmm. right? You know, so taking advantage of someone's alcoholism and making it worse, you know, making them a drug addict in the process, right? You know, so, I mean, I was reading these yaoi comic books right which are kind of very romantic but a kind of Japanese comic books and you know that is the strategy of turning young people into brothel workers in you know Tokyo right you kind of get them hooked on drugs and then you can get them to do whatever you want right? Mm -hmm. so that's a very old strategy you know but I think the moral accent in the film is not on the the drug addiction yeah is on what life does to people and what people do in life that makes them end up in Nightmare Alley
0: No, sure Um, but as Bradley Cooper's behaviour gets worse and he starts to take himself more seriously as someone who, you know, like the thing about um, doing a spook show as the David Strathlain character calls it, you don't do a spook show, right that's too serious, right, you don't actually offer these people more than entertainment, Mm. but that's exactly what he starts doing to the point where, like I say, he starts to develop quite a serious con on um, this one guy in particular, this police chief. So that's constructed as a moral wrong to do that, to do this spook show, to take it more seriously than you should. And that coincides with him getting back into alcohol, or maybe not back into alcohol. Was told he's never touched a drop, but he gets into it certainly. And it's you know a very clear and explicit point is made about how he never touches it, and now he's drinking. Yes.
1: Um, Well, um, yes. And that drink is tied to his father and what his father did to him and what he did to his father. And mm. there's a whole kind of backstory about all of those things, which I think, um, is very, is almost a bit too pat. Um, I've only seen like the first 25 minutes, half an hour of the original, but I thought it was very interesting, uh, because the original begins with an image of Xena played by Joan Blondell, who's so wonderful and human and sexual. Like She's very sexy. She looks middle-aged, but she's very sexy. Mm. None of those qualities were brought to the screen by Tony Collette, whom I love, but who doesn't bring any of that. And I think the role kind of needs that, really. And what was fascinating about that opening sequence is that it starts with Zena, the poster for Zina then it moves into Joan Blondell trying to bring in customers into the act and then her gaze wanders and it wanders onto Tyrone Power mm-hmm. right so it's like he's introduced through her look right yeah and i thought that was very interesting because he's incredibly handsome in the film uh, so I, so i thought it was interesting that Del Toro begins with Bradley the Bradley Cooper character yeah uh, and in fact, he he begins by showing him commit some acts, yeah, like that you know is wrong, but you don't quite know why. But he burns a house, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that's that's how uh, this film begins, and it's it's only later that you get this element of desire of showing him. As someone who's got a who's very good looking, who's got a kind of a sexual potency, and in fact Tony Collette tells you right. Uh, so the cam, but the camera shows it to you as well. That moment where he's in the bath, it's almost like the only, you know it's that moment where Del Toro permits himself to show you how attractive he is, how desirable he is, yeah. Uh, and then that's almost kind of never referred to in the film again. Yeah, that aspect of it, you know, but. Uh, uh, I thought that was interesting. That you know, so part of part of Stan's view of himself, yeah, and his self confidence and so on, is a social one. Yeah, he knows
0: he's a good looking guy, even if he pretends not to at times. Pretends yeah. to be surprised. Yeah. when people are yeah. attracted to him. Yeah. Uh, so, which also is why he thinks he can do the act
1: and he can make a success of it, and that he's superior to people and he can play God. Subsequently, I mean, you know, in a way, the story is about yeah, kind of the rise and fall of, yeah, a character who went too far, who flew too close to the sun, you know, um, and crashed though, you know, it's almost like this, this, this ascent from hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then kind of, you yeah. Know. Well, he starts off surrounded by flames. Yes. For sure. A side comment, but something that I thought was interesting, uh, and more a commentary on American cinema. But I've begun noticing that films are casting too old. You know? Go Well, I mean, I don't know. What would you say is the average age of all the main characters in this film? It must be
0: 50. Uh, Rooney Mara is probably knocking... She's probably 35, 40s. In She's fact, the youngest one. And she'll be the, about the youngest one in the thing. And then Bradley Cooper must be mid-40s. That's right. Um, and yeah, a few of them. And are Tony
1: Collette must be in her 50s. And William Holden must be in... Uh, William Dafoe. William Dafoe must be in his 60s. Yeah, it's kind of... I just thought that was an interesting thing. You know, uh, because the film would have been different. Not better, necessarily, because I, I, I actually... I loved it. The opening sequences were thrilling to me to see... And then, as the film unfolded, it kind of it required more attention. You know, I kind of you know, mm. it, it didn't feel, yeah, it didn't feel as thrilling. This is why I was trying to make this distinction, you know, about you know the film taking you on this journey because it doesn't make it easy.
0: I don't think. Um, I felt a lack of narrative drive for quite a long time. More or less throughout the whole carnival, which is the first act of the film. That, you see, is where I I loved it. Yeah, but where was the narrative drive? I, I wanted it to move more quickly.
1: Ah, well, you see, I was completely hooked because here's a guy on the run. Yeah, He's having an affair with this woman. Her husband's a drunk. He commits a murder. He falls in love with a younger woman. You get a sense that it's a real thing. There are people in the carnival who are against that relationship, you know, for various reasons. And he's hiding from the police. And in the meantime, yeah, you could see what he's hoping for and also what the alternative is, which is the geek. Yeah, because there's quite a lot of time devoted to the geek and who, yeah, mm. and, and so on. So I was completely riveted by all of that and with extraordinary visuals, you know, an extraordinary color and extraordinary costumes, actually. Uh, I mean, a minor, 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 minor note, but I was fascinated by the brooches that, you know, the women wore.
0: <laughs> you love brooches. I love brooches. You know i didn't notice any I, brooches
1: well you see i wouldn't normally comment on it it's just except that it's that kind of film right where every detail counts right so again you know uh this is not the style of most films and you know it's not necessarily a better style or a worse style than than others but it's it's guillermo del toro style he does very classic mise-en-scene mm. yeah, where every single element every light every intensity of color matters it has been thought about it has been chosen and it's kind of put there to answer some kind of question that, you know, the narrative has set up uh, and to attempt to answer it. So, you know, it,
0: it's, it's, it's the kind of cinema that you should be looking for things like that. I thought the whole thing could have been more pulpy and more, um, not quite campy, but... Sensational, think, you mean? I think it could have found more frivolity. You know mm-hmm. there's a certain degree of self seriousness to the whole affair, which i I think that I think there's room for a bit more a bit more bit more frivolity a bit more laughter. I
1: don't know because i I think del Toro, unlike some other directors, is aware and conscious and caters to the sensuality inherent in cinema I, as I mentioned earlier, the way that Bradley Cooper is photographed at the beginning, yeah as opposed to the end. The way that Rooney Mara is photographed, she's very beautiful in this. I think, mm-hmm. you know, and she, she looks extraordinarily pretty with that pale skin and the red lips and the black hair. Um, you know, I love the whole electric, yeah, you know,
0: the electric show that she show does. that
1: She does, uh, and and I thought I thought it had a real feel also, for at least the depression, nineteenth early 1930s of our imagination. Mm. I was very surprised at the end. When um, you know, you realize it's Pearl Harbor and we're in the 1940s, right? Yeah, well, the war, America's
0: um, involvement in the war comes in.
1: Yeah, and I think that was a mistake uh, because that carny, desperate world. I mean, I I love the way that people jumped on that hot, you know, meal. Yeah, the eggs. Mm. Right, like you, you get that sense of hunger and desperation, mm, and mm. you know, uh, and that's very early nineteen thirties. Whereas I think. You know, by 1941, you're at a different time. I mean, America was very prosperous by then. You know, um, I mean, it was benefiting from the whole world being at war, except then, yeah, at that point. Mm.
0: Um, Mind so, you, I don't think you get a great sense of a wider world to the film. I mean, this carnival is this carnival. It's where these people live. And no matter where you are, no matter how prosperous in history, there's always been a time when people have been down on their luck.
1: No, I um, know, I know, but... So it's not
0: unrealistic.
1: Well, I just thought that there was an added dimension... Mm. that the early 1930s setting brought, that the late 1940s uh, diminished. Now, I mean, you could read it differently. You could read it that, you know, as you move into the 1940s, then the sense of social desperation really just becomes one of personal greed. Yeah, that the times have moved and, Mm. you know, that sense of, of, you know, so when he puts the newspaper in his shoe... You know, it's no longer a sociological phenomenon of the times. It's a personal kind of degradation. Um, so, you know, there might be a reason for that time period, but I thought I thought something was lost. The newspaper issue covering up a whole issue. That's right. Yeah. Near the end of the film, yeah, uh, at which point Roosevelt is president, and it's almost Pearl
0: Harbor. Yeah. Well, we do certainly see a s- that that idea of personal greed. I think when. Uh, Stan leaves the show, strikes out on his own, having learned this trade, um, and starts performing at upper-class, like, dinner parties, events. You know, so he's in a tux, and they're doing the same act, but it's for the hoity-toity rich yes. people. And when the other people come to visit him, he says, it's the same act. Mm. Is that the same act? We're just making more money?
1: Yes, but it's the same act done in a different way, because there's a loss of a sense of community. He... Uh, tells his wife off for not doing it properly or for not being quick enough. I mean, he's too concerned with himself and, yeah, the, the, the success of the act. Whereas what you see at the beginning is the guy is too drunk, Zena's husband is too drunk to perform, right? So people come in and they pitch in and they help and they resolve the problem and it's no big deal. Yeah, There's a mm-hmm. community around it. Whereas he's very singular. It's all about him, right? And it's all about him his superiority to other people. Yeah. You know, which I suppose is the mentality of a grifter. You know, that's kind of, you know... I mean, you have to think highly of yourself if you think you can con anybody. Mm. You know, so, ostensibly, he can read anyone and he can con anyone because he can read them.
0: Do you notice his um, blindfold that he wears has an eye on it, that central eye, and he puts it up on his forehead and becomes the third eye, like that pickled baby? I didn't... Uh, I hadn't noticed that. It's true.
1: (laughs) I believe you. (laughs) Uh, 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 I thought it was a wonderful film. And actually, you see, like I love Del Toro, actually. Um, But even the last film that we saw, the one about the fish. (laughs) Shape of
0: Water. The Shape of Water. Some people call it Grinding Nemo. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: There were moments that felt kind of
0: false or artificial or, yeah. Well, that whole subplot with the gay character, the best friend, played by Richard Jenkins, mm. who's in here, incidentally, um, you weren't a big fan of it at yeah. all. Yeah. So, was this
1: one, I really was with it throughout. I mean, sometimes a little bit with alacrity, like, you know, uh, uh, I didn't look at my watch once, though I did sometimes think, where is, you know, mm. where is this going, right? Mm. I loved seeing Mary Steenburgen and actually it reminded me of how much American cinema has missed her, (laughs) at least the American cinema that I've been seeing because, you know, she was such a presence in the eighties. Uh, and she's, you know, she's just wonderful. You know, that kind of sunny personality, that way of speaking, you know, that she's got that's so distinctively hers and yet she's very convincing as this, you know, upper-class matron who's lost her son yeah yeah yeah. um i I thought you know she was she was wonderful casting um i love the look of all of those rich manhattan wood paneled art deco 1930s interiors and buildings Mm. so not just you know the psychiatrist's office but you know kind of the nightclubs the Mansions, yeah, you know, kind of mm-hmm. i mean Mary steenbergen's house mm-hmm. right, uh, and that was a beautiful shot as well, with the you know the window framing them mm. um i i I thought it was a film of you know in, incredible visual delights you
0: know. it is a proper noir, and uh, it, it's a pleasure to see one because it doesn't feel that common really i mean noir is is a genre of the forties in its classic sense, and there have always been noir since then but it does feel increasingly rare, really, to see one that. So, uh, I mean, when he gets to the very end, the last shot of the film, and Bradley Cooper is laughing and crying at the state he's in, where he's becoming this circus geek, geek. and it, and 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 he knows what it is. Well, yeah, that's that's that was a question I had, like, because you definitely remember as an audience member, the line of dialogue, uh, it's just a temporary job, mm. which is what Willem Dafoe has said. That's what you say. Yes. So you definitely remember that, and the question was. Does Bradley Cooper? Oh, yeah. And it seemed pretty, pretty clear it when he's laughing. He knows what's happening to yeah. him. He knows um, what's
1: happening to him, and he accepts it and he laughs because he deserves it.
0: Right, exactly. This is the thing. Like you get to that final shot, and you've got this situation where the big, famous, <laughs> flash, handsome movie star is getting what he deserves, and he's ending up as a drug addict, carnival geek, thinking, "How many films end like that?" Not so many. Not and it's just, and it's yeah. lovely.
1: And I think it's worth emphasising that, you know, a carnival geek is somebody who is hooked on drugs and alcohol to the extent that he will do anything to get his next fix. Yeah, exactly. And that is what Stan consciously accepts as the fate he deserves.
0: It's so, like, remember Reek in Game of Thrones? Yes. When he becomes Reek. And that's, I, me- I remember when I watched that feeling sick mm. when he was on screen, mm. thinking, oh my God, like... the. I, you know, I mean, Game of Thrones became, had a bad ending, but at times it was incredible. And the stuff with Rick made me feel genuinely ill mm. because of the states that guy was in and, the, and the, the, how he was made to be a prisoner with this torture. And, you know, the geek is not a long way off that.
1: Yeah, no, that's why I was comparing it to, you know, uh, people working in brothels. And kind of made to do anything because of you know they're controlled by the drugs they take. Yeah, uh, and so that's what he is willing to let himself become. Yeah. Um, so I I want to take issue with something you said earlier, which is you know that you don't see much noir because I, I noir is everywhere. You know, particularly if you're looking at Netflix, right? You know what noir has the what 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 works like Daredevil or you know kind of so many detective series. What they do is they take the look of noir, yeah, the shadows, the angles, you mm-hmm. know, sometimes even the outfits. But where they don't dare go is the moral issues. Yeah, that mm-hmm. sense of evil or wrong or yeah. And actually this is a film that is not afraid of that. It takes you right to the limits of that. Yeah. Right? You know, so it's a moral darkness. Yeah, it's it's again you know, that wonderful line by Kate Blanchett where, you know, so she's got all these... Somebody has cut her up mm. and uh, uh, Stan asks her, what happened to you? And she said, life, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where, but again, you know, I think where the film is interesting is that it's not just what life has done to you, but what life has done to you because of what you have done in life. Yeah, Stan is guilty and guilty and guilty. And, yeah. Mm. Yeah. He commits kind of all series of, you know, crimes, right? And again, not just, like, physical ones. The physical ones are almost, like, left a bit cloudy. Did he kill Xena's husband deliberately? Yeah, that's kind of at least open to question, right? Oh, it's
0: really open to question. I don't think it's clear that it's deliberate at all.
1: That's right. Mm. But but him taking advantage of people's pain and profiting from it, Mm. yeah, and, you know, causing suicides as a result of his actions and all of that, That's all very clear. And that's a much more complicated sense of evil doing, right? Mm. Because of actions that you do that are morally wrong, but are not necessarily... yeah. Um, Well, the
0: question of the suicide is interesting. So that's a Mary Steenburgen character who he's told her all this wonderful stuff about her son who she lost, I think it was. Um, And this idea of being together again in the afterlife, he's waiting for you. I think that's vaguely what... I forget mm -hmm. the lines exactly, but that's roughly... he's, He's waiting for you. Yeah. Um, and shows she's given solace by this, and it seems lovely. And the way she acts upon this is she shoots her husband and herself, thinking, we'll get closer to our son. We'll see him yes. sooner than, than yes. we otherwise would. Yes. Um, the question, though, is... Because Bradley Cooper doesn't know that happened, right? I mean, we see that separately, but he never learns of it. Um, around that time, he's um, doing the con on the police chief and that obviously goes very wrong as well but like the thing about Bradley Cooper's intentions are he's definitely self-aggrandizing and he thinks a lot of himself but his intentions or he, he never anticipates anything going as badly wrong as it does oh, he's so self confident he, he never anticipates that someone might be so you know into the idea of meeting their son in the afterlife that they kill themselves mm. and it, and were he confronted with that knowledge and were we to see that you know that would be a whole question of how would he respond to that would he be shocked at what happened would he be regretful we don't
1: know he's told repeatedly that the line that he mustn't cross is to make people think that it's real yeah that if they come back and question you you must say that it's it's an act right? yeah and the and the reason for that is because of the potential repercussions
0: well that's the reason that he's not given that I so think he's told the rule. But he's not given a reason for it. We then see, this is quite clearly what a good reason is, that you don't want people to go killing themselves. But the reason, at least to him, as far as we see, is never given. Mm. It's just the rule. And he breaks the rule. Repeatedly, and for a financial gain.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm not so. saying
0: he's morally in the clear, but it's an interesting question, what would he think, if he realised this is something that can result from this? Mm. We don't see. Um...
1: I think for me the most unsatisfactory character seems to be the one that you liked most, which is the Kate Blanchett character. I thought she was kind of almost indistinguishable from, you know, the Indiana Jones Nazi that she played. <laughs> um, well, Bradley Cooper was pretty much indistinguishable from Indiana Jones at points mm, in that hat. Indiana Jones never went that low. <laughs> um, and I kind of don't quite understand her as a character. I mean. So there's a point where they're kissing and he says, you're, you're as bad as I am. So, yeah, he senses mm. that. But why she is, what drove her to it, yeah, she's not motivated by money. Is she out for revenge on men in general? Yeah. yeah you get the sense that that might be it. But It's a very it's thinly very, drawn
0: pastiche yeah. of the femme fatale. Um, I think, I mean, I think she's really stylish, and I love the way she looks, and I like the way that Cate Blanchett performs the character. Oh yeah, smoky, and she looks fantastic, and she speaks beautifully, and yeah, you know. she's in control of the scene whenever she's in that room. Mm. You know? So I, I really love that. But I completely agree. I mean, and when it gets to the point where it's revealed that she's stolen his money and she's been playing him, and then she's doing this thing with the tape recorder, pretending that uh, he's a patient or he has been a patient, but pretending that this is a meeting of the patient. And while he's going mental, she's just going. You're going mental, sir. Mm-hmm. It should have been much, much more dramatic. It should they it should have felt like the dramatic culmination of something that had been very clearly built up to them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. It's no. just it's just the thing. It that wasn't
1: th- logical. No, even because he's offered her half his earnings, right, willingly. So even if she's just after the money, which you can't imagine her being with an office like that and a job like that, and you know, uh, if she was after the money you would think that she would keep her half and then there's more forthcoming, right? If it's a general revenge on men, why this man in particular? It didn't cohere for me, that whole segment. No, I agree. Segment. Because that, he's someone
0: who's not... He's, he's someone who's taking advantage of people. Yes. And I think that's generally it because she does, she says explicitly, I don't care about the money, I'm not doing this for the money, and I believe her. Mm. You know, she's like, she's saying I've got other reasons for doing this. I believe her at that point. I think she steals the money because she can and because he cares about it, which, again, she says, yes. um, you care about this, and so that's why I've taken it from you. But then her real motivation beneath it all is not very clearly established. Not, I think it's something you have to read into, but it is quite general.
1: I mean, all I can think of is, you know, she got carved up by the chief of police. It becomes very clear, yeah. Because he hurts women. He hurts young women. It wasn't
0: clear to me that he hurt her, though. I mean, I thought that oh, could be easily
1: someone else. No, for me, it was clear. Uh, well... It became clear as soon as he said it, I heard young women. Yeah, and obviously she's the connection to the police chief. So in the universe of the film, it's clear. All right,
0: if you like. Yeah. i will so. no. have to watch it twice and I probably won't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to wrap this up, actually, because I've got to leave like, now. So um, I will see it again. I think I it's think fantastic. <laughs>
0: yes, And
1: I don't understand anybody who kind of sees those those shots and doesn't appreciate them for, like, the gorgeous, beautiful shots that they are. You leave me stunned.
0: No, well, they weren't all that gorgeous. Yeah. (laughs) I wish I had a copy of the film so I could show you. Look at that, look at that. No, no, I'm I'm so glad you don't. It just reminded me of fucking Dumbo. What? Remember, we saw Tim Burton Dumbo.
1: Well, I'm sure, you know, I can easily believe that that is an influence on uh, Guillermo del Toro, but in this case, it's a fantastic influence if that is the case. All right, we've got to wrap up here. So I highly recommend that people see it. Um,
0: I kind of wish everything about it was
1: a bit more fun, basically.
0: Ah, it's a very dark film. Yeah, but I think the things can be dark. Well, like Tim Burton, things can be dark and fun. (laughs) Yeah, but he's not (laughs) Tim Burton. Um, (laughs) And Tim Burton would never make a film this adult. So you know, there's that. But um, I just it had room for a bit more pulpiness and a bit more fun. Um, I think it's uh, a bit more speed.
1: I think it's a beautiful film. Um, it's an extraordinary performance uh, by Bradley Cooper. I loved you know almost all the actors uh, in it. Uh, Tony Collette is the exception only because I saw what Joan Blondell could do with that role. Um, and I think it's a beautifully looking film that's very noir, noir in the real sense. that is about the darkness you know, inherent in human beings, and kind of mm. again, to repeat that, you know what life does to people? In relation to what horrible things people are capable of doing in life that then leads them to Nightmare
0: Alley. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs>